Hello, and welcome to the Faith Church Podcast Channel. We exist to reach people and connect them to God and others. If you would like more information about Faith Church or would like to schedule a visit sometime, please visit our website at www.igotofaith.com. We can only do what we do because of the generosity of our Faith Church family. If you would like to contribute to our ministry, you can do so by visiting our website at www.igotofaith.com and hit the giving tab. Or you can text the amount of your contribution to 84321. Both of these options will send you to a safe and secure server. Your giving is much appreciated. Now, get ready as our lead pastor, Steve Husky, continues with part two of our series, No Doubt November. Church. What's going on, everybody? It's great to see you this morning. My name is Steve Husky. I'm the lead pastor here at Faith Church. We want to say welcome to all of our Faith Church family. Glad you guys are here this weekend. And as always, we want to make sure that we acknowledge our first-time guests. You guys are VIPs to us, and we're glad that you decided to be here for one of our weekend worship experiences. We want to welcome those who are watching online. Let's give it up for them. Welcome, everybody. Well, listen, man, we are continuing with the series we started last week entitled No Doubt November. And what it's about, it's about dealing with some of the doubts and insecurities that all of us have, that all of us wrestle with, specifically when it comes to living the life that God has for us. That as we face challenges, as we strive to live outside of the box and embrace a spiritual journey, to make some decisions that complement the walk of faith that we're in, sometimes we're held back, sometimes we feel restrained because of doubts that we carry. So last week we started the series by looking at just a story that uh, happens in the Gospel of John and what we're doing through this series is we're asking kind of this big question with each message, what would happen if you really believed? So last week we tackled the question, what would happen if you really believed the promises of Jesus? I mean, like if it wasn't just words on a paper, if it wasn't just something preached from the platform, like if you really believed what Jesus had to say about life, if you really believed about the challenges he made, if you really believed um, the gauntlet he throws down, if you really believe the life he called us to, what would your life look like? What would happen if you really believed the promises of Jesus were true? What we found out last week is we would definitely leave some things behind and embrace a new life. So today we're going to step into kind of a totally different topic, still dealing with this no doubt issue, but let me introduce it this way. Several months ago, uh, Facebook introduced a new part of their platform uh, called Recommendations. Recommendations was a way for people who were looking for some kind of recommendation for life or um, some kind of issue they were dealing with for their friends to chime in and make a recommendation. So if you had a plumbing issue, if you needed an auto mechanic, if you were looking for a new physician or a dentist or whatever it was, it was a way for you to post uh, on Facebook, hey, I need a recommendation, and people could chime in and say, here's my recommendation, here's, here's who I think would be a win for you. I know we know this, but just so we have it in front of us, here's what a recommendation is. A recommendation, it means to advise or suggest something is beneficial. So when we see somebody's need, I mean, it could be easy for us to scroll by it and bypass it. But when somebody, not just on social media, but when somebody approaches us and asks us, hey, hey I need a doctor, hey, I need an auto mechanic, hey, I need someone to take care of my lawn, we care enough about the person. And we care enough about the need, not just to scroll past it, but stop and to engage, to have a conversation, to post a response. And not only do we care enough, but we're convinced that the person we're recommending is going to benefit the need. Like if we say, hey, I know a doctor, like we care that our friend needs a doctor and we're convinced our doctor is the one they're looking for. 
And so this idea of recommendations, like it's part of what our culture is about. Think about it. It's not just on social media platform, but all of us in this room, we have made recommendations. We have received recommendations. I'm just curious, how many people here have posted on Facebook looking for a recommendation? So how many people have responded and you've made a recommendation? So several, about a month ago, I made my first post um, looking for some recommendations. Um, I uh, thankfully have lost enough weight that I needed some new suits. I don't wear suits very often. In fact, if you see me in a suit, someone's getting married or somebody died. That's just the fact. But, you know, being in the ministry, you have to have a suit just for an occasion. So I went out and got a couple new suits. And uh, I did keep the fat suits, by the way. You just never know when you're going to need them. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Just keep the fat clothes there just in case. Coming into the holidays, might need them the first of the year, right? But anyway, so with new suits, if y'all know this, when you buy a men's suit, the suit jacket typically comes somewhat tailored or fit, but the pants are not hemmed. You've got to take those and get them hemmed. And so I posted on Facebook looking for a recommendation, looking for somebody that would respond to me, that could recommend somebody they've used. And so I put it out there. And immediately, man, I started getting people making recommendations of different people, different friends that they had. But what was so crazy is the number one recommendation I got was not a person, but duct tape. (laughs) Absolutely, because everybody knows it. Like, there's two things in life that you need. It's WD-40 and duct tape, because those two things, you can fix almost anything, including hemming pants. What was funny was I acted like I would never do that. The truth is I had already done that several years ago. When I was a youth pastor, you don't make a lot of money when you first, like, when you first start the ball rolling like a lot of professions and occupations. So it, you, could, you could afford a suit, but you couldn't afford a seamstress after it. So I had done the whole tape thing. The sad part was we didn't have duct tape, so I hemmed my pants with, um, with uh, masking tape. <laughs> Which, when it worked, it seemed like I'm genius. Like, I didn't think anybody knew about it. Apparently, that's a thing. People know about it. But the embarrassing thing was, like, mid-service on a Sunday morning, my duct or my, my tape pants came rolling out of my hem, which made me look a little bit redneckish. So, uh, but anyways, but all these people made these recommendations, and I took one. Thankfully, I was able to get my, my pants in. I can't just afford a suit now. I can afford a seamstress. Big Jesus. So, but think about this idea of recommendations. Again, as a culture, as a society, even on social media, we are about asking for and giving people recommendations. Again, advising somebody or recommending to somebody something or someone that we think would be beneficial to them. And when you think about a recommendation, most of the time, we only make a recommendation on someone that we've had a good experience with. If we have no experience or a bad experience, we don't, reckon, we don't recommend them. But if we have had a good doctor, if we've had a good car wash, if we've had a good plumber, whatever it is, anytime we have a good experience, we are quick to make the recommendation. And so today, as we step into this, I want you to know that the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, really are recommendations from writers recommending Jesus to their society, to their culture, and to the readers at that time. You may not know this if you're new to church, but again, the first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they're what's called the Gospels. They are biographical sketches of the life, the ministry, the teaching, and the miracles of Jesus. Following him through his life, it's a record of who he was and what he did. But the reason that there are four Gospels is because each of the Gospel is written to a different audience. Because each of them are making a recommendation to their segment of culture recommending Jesus. So, for example, you may not know this, but Matthew was written very specifically to the Jewish culture, to the religious of the day. 
because they had waited for literally thousands of years for the Messiah, for this promised rescuer that God had said that he would send. And so Matthew, who was a follower of Jesus, he was one of the disciples. He was a, he was a tax collector that Jesus changed his life. He wrote and recorded the life of Jesus, but he wrote a, as a recommendation to the Jewish culture saying, hey, if you're looking for a Messiah, I want to recommend Jesus. He had fulfilled prophecy. He had done very specific things in his life and ministry to demonstrate he had fulfilled those things, that he was the Messiah. So again, Matthew wrote to the Jews, recommended to the Jewish people that Jesus is the one they could turn to. Luke, the Gospel of Luke, Luke was a doctor. Luke wrote very specifically his, his, uh, his audience were the Greeks at that time. If you remember maybe from high school or college or maybe somewhere in your life experience, the, uh, the Greek culture, they were very much on a pursuit of truth. Um, they were very much um, very highly intelligent people. Uh, not only that, but they were looking through art and history for what would a perfect man look like. Luke wrote to the Greeks making the recommend, recommendation of Jesus, that Jesus was the perfect man. In fact, when you read the Gospel of Luke, you'll find over and over again this title attributed to Jesus the son of man, saying, hey, if you're looking for the perfect man, Jesus was it. He was the cat. I want to recommend to you Jesus. John, John wrote in a way kind of to everybody. His audience was very broad, very general, but on people and a society and a culture, on a pursuit for God, John wrote recommending, hey, if you're looking for God, I got one for you. In fact, I don't have just one. I have the only one. And he recommended Jesus as the son of God. And so, again, each of the writers of the Gospels were making recommendations to their readers that Jesus was the one that they could turn to, that Jesus was the one that they could look to. And you have to remember that each of these individuals, um, they had direct dealings with Jesus. So they had benefited from Jesus, and they wanted other people to benefit from him as well. That leaves Mark. Here's the cool thing about Mark, and we're going to spend some time in the Gospel of Mark today. Mark's audience was primarily the Roman audience. You'll know at that time in that area of the world, in that culture, that the Roman government was large and in charge. They were the ones that were making things happen. And there was something very specific you need to know about the Roman government, and that is that they were a government of action. I don't know about you, but we live right now in a time in society where government talks a lot and does little. They make a lot of promises. They say a lot. They get on their platforms and promise a lot, and then they don't do much. Come on, can we just get an amen in church about government? However, the Roman government, they were very much known for handling business. They didn't talk about it. They were about it. Uh, for example, one of the things at that time was that if anybody tried to rise up against the Roman government, if anybody brought an insurrection, if anybody spoke against Caesar, they were quick to snuff that out. In fact, that's where crucifixion came from. The Roman government was very much against anybody raising up against them. So the reason Mark wrote his gospel was he was saying, listen, if you're looking for somebody who's a person of action, you can look to Jesus. It's not, he doesn't just talk about it. He doesn't just teach about it. He does it. He doesn't just have a big game that he talks about. He lives a big game. The reason that Gospel of Mark was written was he wanted his audience to know that Jesus is somebody who can help. He is somebody that will respond. He is somebody who will immediately do something to meet the need of your life. Mark was a recommendation that Jesus can meet you where you are now. And you can see this in specific differences between the Gospel of Mark and the other three Gospels. For example, when you read Matthew, Luke, and John, all three of those Gospels start their writings with the beginning of Jesus. 
For example, Matthew and Luke both start with the birth of Jesus, both start with genealogies, and as we step into the Christmas story, you're going to hear a lot read from Matthew. You're going to see a lot read from Luke. John, because Jesus was the Son of God, he had no beginning, he's eternal. John still starts with the beginning, and he says this, in the beginning was the Word, or Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus was God in the flesh. But Mark, Mark doesn't start with the beginning. Mark starts right into the beginning of his ministry, saying like, well, let's get, let's get past all the, all, the, all the prologue. Let's get past all the beginning. Let's jump right into the action. And so when you read the gospel of Mark, like it is full guns blazing, jumping into the beginning of Jesus changing lives. Because again, it is a book like all four of them that's making a recommendation that if you need a God, Jesus is it. If you need a Messiah, Jesus is it. If you're looking for the perfect man, Jesus is it. If you are in need, if you are struggling, if you are hurting, if you are sick, then Jesus is it. They are recommendations. And I love it because we live in a culture of recommendations. Let me just turn to a couple, for example, in Mark. Again, one of the things that highlights Mark separate from the other Gospels even though they all record miracles, the gospel of Mark is by far the shortest gospel, but it, it records the most miracles. Why? Because again, it's a testament. It's a demonstration that Jesus, he didn't just talk about it. He was about it. He did things about the needs brought to him. And so as you read through a couple of these stories, we're going to pull through a couple of them real quick. One of the things that you're going to find is people that experience Jesus the most, who experience Jesus in the most profound ways, was not Jesus going to them. Like, right, we think that Jesus traveled from city to city and taught and did miracles, and he did. But maybe your mindset is that he went to people and sought people out that were hurting, and that's not the case. The majority of the miracles of Jesus didn't happen because Jesus went to people, but because people brought hurting people to Jesus. Now, you got to get that because if you're sitting in a seat saying, Jesus, I'm hurting, I wish you'd come and meet me where I am, not that he doesn't meet us where we are, but Jesus responds to people that are seeking him. Jesus said, you'll find me when you seek me with all of your heart. And so what you're going to find is, again, that the gospel of Mark is not just a book about a recommendation for Jesus being the man of action that you need, but it is full of stories of people who made recommendations to their friends that Jesus was specifically the person that they needed, and they took them to Jesus. Watch this. Mark chapter 1, verse 32, that evening after sunset, many sick and demon-possessed people, watch this, were brought to Jesus. Jesus didn't go to them. People that had an encounter and an experience with Jesus said, hey, you need to come check out. You're sick? Come to Jesus. If you're hurting, come to Jesus. And so they went and got their friends, made recommendations, and brought them to the Messiah. Here's another one, Mark 7, 32, a deaf man with a speech impediment was brought to him. And the people begged Jesus to lay his hands on the man and to heal him. Mark 8, 22, we see another story. And when they arrived to Bethsaida, which was a city, some people brought a blind man to Jesus, and they begged him to touch the man and to heal him. One more, Mark 9, 17. One of the men in the crowd spoke up and said, Teacher, I brought my son so you could heal him. He's possessed by an evil spirit that won't let him talk. So again, I, I want you all to see this, that what you see specifically in the gospel of Mark is it is a recommendation that Jesus is the one that can help you now in your life. 
And it's filled with stories of people making recommendations to their hurting friends because they are convinced that Jesus can help them. Jesus helped me. Jesus can help you. Come on, I'm going to get you to him because he can make a difference in your life. And so since we live in a culture of recommendations, and since the Gospel of Mark is a book, all of them are recommendations, here's my question is, where are all the recommendations for the Redeemer today? How come we don't see more... um, Why don't we see more endorsements for Emmanuel? Why are there not more people shouting about the Savior? Why aren't there more people suggesting Jesus as the Savior? I think sometimes our silence is something that points to our doubt. Again, no doubt in November, I think the reason sometimes we are so silent is we're not really sure that Jesus could make a difference. We're not really sure that Jesus could intervene in the lives of our friends. We're not really, we don't really believe that Jesus could change the lives of people around us. But here's the question I want us to tackle today is this, is what would happen if we really believed that Jesus could help our friends? See, some of us in this room, we're here today because Jesus saved us. He changed our lives. We know he's forgiven us. Some of you in this room experienced miracles. God showed up. He's brought you some peace that this world could never give. God's broken you through in a way a counselor could never get you through. Is there anybody in this room that you are, you are convinced that Jesus has changed your life? If we are convinced Jesus has changed our lives, what would happen if we really believe he could change the lives of our friends? You know what would happen? We would start making some recommendations. If we believe he could impact us, if we are convinced he's changed our lives, then we believe he'd be beneficial. See, what do you do? What's your response when you have a conversation at work, when you are on social media and you see one of your friends post that they're hurting, that they're sick, that they're discouraged, that they're hopeless? What's your response? Who do you who do you point them to? What recommendation do you, make, do you make? See, I think that as Christ followers, people like myself and like many of you who have had a radical encounter with Jesus, that we can look back and see the change and the shift that he's made in our lives, that if we are people that have benefited from the Savior, we are people who should suggest the Savior. If we've had an encounter with Emmanuel, then we should endorse Emmanuel, God with us. If we have been saved by the Savior, then we should suggest the Savior to other people around us. We ought to be a people, if we recommend doctors and plumbers and seamstress, we ought to recommend Jesus to a world that desperately needs him because he is a man of action. Does anybody hear this today? So, we're going to jump into one more story. Again, it's found this same pattern of people who are impacted by Jesus, who recommend Jesus to their friends and bring their friends to Jesus. We see one more story found in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 2. Here's where it picks up. It says, when Jesus returned to Capernaum several days later, come on, watch this, the news spread quickly that he was back home. How did the news spread so quickly? I mean, Twitter feeds were blowing up, Instagram live, people were posting videos. It was, it was going, it was going right crazy live on Facebook. Everybody was posting. Do you know why? Because people were making recommendations. When the news got out that Jesus was in the house, that Jesus was in Capernaum, when he was in the city, people started talking and chatting. Hey, listen, he helped me. He can help you. And the next thing you know, as the recommendations went wild, watch this. Soon the house where he was saying was so packed with visitors that there was no more room. I'm telling you that recommendations will fill the accommodations. The house where Jesus was at got so packed with people that nobody else could get in. 
I'm glad y'all are excited, man. Y'all are way quiet today. Like, mm -hmm. yeah, that's great. Like Jesus was such a radical life changer that so many people had experienced life change, they couldn't help but talk about it. They couldn't help tell other people about it. They were a recommendation culture, and that word spread so rapidly that where Jesus was at got packed out. People are hanging out the windows. There's a line wrapped around the house. Nobody else can get in. It was a little bit like Black Friday in Capernaum, right? Black Friday at Walmart, where you don't want to be. But Jesus was there, so all these people showed up. I want you to know something about Faith Church. Faith Church is a church we refuse, we refuse no more room identities. We will never be a church that has no more room. We have grown for six years. As we continue to grow, we're going to continue to make sure that there is room for people to come. We went from one service to two, from two to three. We ripped out pews and changed our seating capacity from 700 to 1,000. As we step into 2018, we're going to get... Yeah, I'm excited about it. Here's the good news is we get to 2018, we're going to plant our very first campus as a church as we continue to make sure that there is always room for people in our culture and in our area to come to Jesus. I'm excited about what God is doing and what he's about to do. But this house is so packed out, there's no more room. In fact, it says even outside the door. But what Jesus was doing in the house was preaching the word. Now, this is important because as a church, and some of you who have been here for a while knows that sometimes we do things that are very untraditional. Sometimes we do things that some people would say probably shouldn't even be done in church. Um, but I want you to know that here at Faith Church, we are always convinced that Jesus is the answer, and we'll do whatever it takes to make room for people, and we'll do whatever it takes, but we will never compromise the message. We'll change the methods, but we'll never compromise the message. There are songs we won't do. There are songs we will do that you don't think we should do. The volume we have, the haze we have, the lights we have, the skits we have, the things we do to have fun, what we want to do is we want to make sure that we are always changing the method but never compromising the message because at the end of the day, it's only the Word of God that people find hope. It's only the truth of God that people find salvation. So on any given Sunday, in any gathering, whether it's youth, whatever it is, you will always find the Word of God preached because that is one thing we will never compromise because it's in the Word of God that people experience the hope of God. So it will always be communicated. Watch this. So four men arrive carrying a paralyzed man on the mat. Now these are some sold-out cats. Think about this. These four men, obviously at some point they've had some kind of encounter so what do they do? Here's what I think all of us should do is that we ought to be compassionate enough towards the needs of our friends and family and convinced enough that Jesus is the answer, that we're willing to do whatever it takes to get them to Jesus, not just make a recommendation, but to get them to the house. And so these four men, because obviously they're, in case you don't know what paralyzed means, can't walk, they can't walk, so they put him on a mat and they carry this man to Jesus. And they couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd. So they get him to the house. They just can't get in because of the crowd. So they dug a hole through the roof above his head. Then they lowered the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus. Can anybody say radical? I mean, think about this. They get to the house. Like me, I'd have been like, oh, well, we got here late. Like, we didn't make it. Maybe next time, you know, I guess you're just going to have to paralyze like, I love these guys because they're like, listen, we can't get in the front door, but I think we can get in the roof. The guy on the mat, can you make, he's like, wait, get through the roof, what? Hey, take me home. <laughs> I was all down for the recommendation. I'm not down for the roof thing. 
they climb up on the roof and they start tearing the roof off the house. The roof, the roof, the roof is on fire. We don't need no water. Yeah, don't you all say that. Yeah, we all know who grew up in the clubs in the 80s. They start tearing the roof off the house. Imagine, listen, imagine sitting in the house. Everything's calm. It was probably a Baptist meeting. Things are quiet. Ain't nobody making no noise. And all of a sudden, someone gets hit with a piece of plaster in the head. Looks up and is like, hey, what's going on? All of a sudden, another chunk of drywall falls off the ceiling. All of a sudden, you start to see daylight because there are four men that are so committed to get their broken friend an audience with Jesus because it's more than a recommendation. They know Jesus is a man of action, that he can do something for their friend that no one else can do, that they tear the roof off the house to get their friend to Jesus. What are you doing to get your friends to Jesus? Like sometimes we won't carry an invitation. They carry their friend on a mat. Like that's crazy. I think what motivated these men is they were three C men. You say, what's a three C man? It's, for me, I want us to be a three C church. A three C church is a church that's compassionate, committed, and convinced. That we, when we look around this world, we have a compassion towards people who are hurting. And I don't mean like the down and out, bottom of the barrel, homeless, like people begging at Target. I mean everyday people that have everyday problems that don't have a solution. See, the Bible says that this man was on a mat. We all know people who are on the mat of life, people who are about to tap out on their marriage, who are about to tap out on their finances. We all know people in this world. We talk to them. We see their social media posts. We work with them. We go to school with them. We sit in class with them. We're on the, on the line with them. We're in the cubicles beside them. We all know people who are on the mat. And the question is, we are so consumed with our life and getting our kids to the softball field and getting our kids to cheerleading and I got to get home and mow the lawn and fix dinner and I got workouts and I got to go and we're so inwardly focused on our life. I just want you to know something that until we are a compassion-driven church, we will care more about us than people who don't have a relationship with Christ. But if we're a 3C church, we will be a compassionate church that cares as much, if not more, about other people than we care for ourselves. And that will always drive us to getting people to Jesus. Not just compassionate, but committed. Like I say committed, everybody say committed. I mean that we don't give up. that you don't stay silent. We live in a culture right now that tells us, isn't this funny, that tells us, and we've all heard this, that you don't talk to your friends about what two things. Come on. Religion and politics. Let me ask you a question. Is anybody quiet on politics? Isn't it funny how we're told you don't talk to your friends about religion and politics, but everybody is very much chirping about the political landscape. And I think it's funny as well that we are told to not talk to people about religion, but yet... There is no silence on the horizon about the Muslim faith. There's no silence on the horizon about Scientology. There is no silence on the horizon about people who are involved in Buddhism. Really what they're telling, culture is telling us, is just don't talk about Jesus. The problem is I am convinced and not only moved by the compassion of people, but I am committed to them coming to Christ, and I believe that Jesus is the only answer, so i got to be committed to do what I can do to bring people to Christ. If i got to tear a roof off, I'm committed to bring people to Jesus. That's the kind of church that we have to be. It's 
It's looking for opportunities. It's not standing on the street corner with a bullhorn. It's not forcing Jesus on people, but it's recognizing broken people are looking for a solution. So in the conversations that you and I have, we need to look for the opportunity to speak truth. We need to look for the opportunity to insert Christ. If all it is for some of us is just inviting them to the house, if you get them to the house, I will introduce them to Jesus. But let's work together, pull together, to be a church that's full with compassion and that we're committed to reach people who are far from God. Can we do that? What's going to drive that ultimately is the third C, and that is that we're convinced. That we're convinced that Jesus can make a difference in the lives of people. What would happen if you really believe that Jesus could help your friends? How would you live if you really believed that Jesus was the answer that they're looking for? How would faith church function if we really believed that Jesus was the hope of the world? then I'm just telling you that we on a regular basis would make the recommendations. And like the house, it would be SRO. It would be standing room only. Because I'm telling you, the more recommendations that are made, the more people that will come, and the more Jesus will change the lives of those people who are around us. And I'm all about people experiencing life change. Come on, somebody. The thing I love about this story is, man, these guys are so, they're so locked in. They're carrying their friend on a mat. Have you ever tried to move dead weight before? Like dead weight, I mean, it's one thing to try to help somebody and they're trying to help you help them. But trying to help somebody with dead weight, it's the nurses. We give it up for the nurses. Uh, my wife and I, man, I, we, if you don't know my wife, she might seem very quiet. She's, she's pretty loud and a lot of fun. One of the things I love about her is anytime we go to the movies, she comes out and she acts like one of the characters in the movie. I mean, like, we're in the lobby, and she's, like, kung-fuing me. If we just came from, like, a... If there was some kung-fu in the movie, I'm getting kung-fu'd. I don't know if that's an appropriate term, but I'm getting kung-fu'd. Um, so we wrestle around a lot. One of the things that I love to do, and I was talking to some guys after second service, and they said they do this too, so I felt less weird, is sometimes we're wrestling around, and I'll get on top of her, and I'll lay all my weight on I mean, like, full weight. And then I'll say this, I just had a heart attack. See if you can get me off and call 911. <laughs> Like, if I, if I stroked out right now, would we die together? Or could you get me off? And I'm just telling you, I'm in trouble because she can't move this glorious body off of her. I'm, I'm stuck. These guys are so compassionate to their paralyzed friend. They are so committed to get them to the house where Jesus is that they all grab a corner and they carry dead weight, not just to the city. Can you imagine trying to get the dead weight of a man up a ladder on top of a roof? Can you imagine the commitment it takes to tear the roof off a house? I just want you to know something. I wish we had the commitment that these four guys had. Because if we had the compassion and the commitment and the conviction, if we are a 3C church, we will be a church that regularly sees broken, hurting people come to Christ and experience life change because he is a man of action. So what recommendations are you making to your hurting friends? What recommendations have you made to people who are struggling, who are on the mat, who are about to tap out? See, you see this, and I love this. The Bible says that Jesus, in this story, sees what's happening, sees the commitment and the compassion of these guys, sees the conviction they have. And the Bible says this, that he sees their faith. Seeing their faith, their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, my child, your sins are forgiven. Let me ask you a question. How do you see somebody's faith? If I ask you to show me your faith, what would you point to? 
Because to us, faith is this ethereal, mystical, non-substantial thing, like you can't put it in a test tube. Faith isn't something you can touch or taste or smell. And so if I said, hey, show me your faith, what would you point to? Because obviously faith is something that can be seen because the Bible says in this story that Jesus seen their faith. And what he's seen is this, and James, James talks about this idea of visible faith. He says, what good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but you don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? If you say you believe that Jesus is the hope of the world, where's your recommendations? Where are the people endorsing Emmanuel? Where are the people suggesting the Savior? Where? Because he says, hey, if you have faith, it's going to be shown by your actions. Can that kind of faith save anyone? He says this. Now, someone may argue some people have faith and others have good deeds. But I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? Watch this. I will show you my faith by my good deeds. Translation, I will show you that I believe that Jesus is beneficial because I'll recommend him. I'll show you that I care about hurting people because I will show compassion to their needs. I'll be committed to speak to them, talk to them, encourage them, bring them to the house, get them to Jesus. If I have to tear a roof off the house, I'll do whatever it takes to see my friends, my family members, my coworkers, my neighbors have an encounter that only Jesus can give. What would happen if you really believed that Jesus could help your friends? How would we live if we really believed that Jesus was the hope of the world? Jesus sees the faith of these guys and he gets lowered down and the Bible says that Jesus looks at this guy and says, your sins are forgiven. Well, remember the problem? The problem was he couldn't walk. I love it because isn't that really the kind of the big elephant in the room? Sometimes we don't engage conversation because like how do we talk to other people about their sin? Because then they look at us and say, well, do you think you're perfect? So we back down. I love it because these people just cared about the problem of their friend and they let Jesus do the heavy lifting. I want you to hear this. You don't always have to be the one pointing out the insecurities, the insufficiencies and the imperfections in your friends. If you'll care about their problems, Jesus will get to the condition of the heart. Let Jesus do the heavy lifting. Jesus, they just cared enough that their friend couldn't walk. They knew Jesus had healed other people. Obviously, they probably had some, encounter, some kind of encounter, so they recommended to their friend, hey, let's get you to Jesus. They get him down, and then Jesus deals with the sin because at the end of the day, it's not marriages and kids and money. It's not addiction. The real issue that all of us have, that humanity has, it's not our struggles, it's our heart. The heart of the issue is the issue of the heart. It's our sin. You don't have to be the one necessary to bring that up. Sometimes God might lead that. But if you'll get them to Jesus, here's what I found out. You sit in these seats long enough and God will eventually put his finger on every issue in your life and he'll help you through. He'll give you victory through them. He'll forgive them. I wish someone would help me today and make some noise third service. Jesus is always the answer. But some of the teachers of the religious law, watch this, who were sitting there, sitting where? In the house, thought to themselves, what's he saying? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. Isn't it crazy 
See, the religious teachers of the day, even though Jesus had demonstrated incredible miracles taught out of their own confession like someone they had never teach, they said, we've never heard anybody teach with such authority. They had never seen miracles like this. But they refused to lose their influence to Jesus, so they chose rather to reject him as the Messiah. But isn't it funny that they fought their way to have a seat at Jesus? They made room in the house that people who wanted to get to Jesus, they took up room, but they themselves didn't believe in Jesus. It made me wonder how many people are sitting in the house who don't really believe. And I say that not to say, listen, if you're searching, you're on a quest for truth, you're searching, you're wondering about Jesus, like keep coming. God will answer those questions. But I'm talking about the people. Here's how you know if you're a believer or a hypocrite. Here's how you know is are you making recommendations? That's how you know. Are you inviting people to the house? Are you getting people an audience with Jesus? Are you bringing people to Christ? Because these guys are like, hey, I don't know about this whole Jesus thing. But yet they sat there. Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking, so he asked them, why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or stand up, pick up your mat, and walk? He's saying, which one do you think I can do? Which one should I do? Should I forgive him or should I heal him? Here's the good thing about Jesus. Give him enough time, he'll always do both. So I will prove to you that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, Stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. This man experienced life change because someone was bold enough in a culture that said, Keep your mouth shut to make a recommendation. Hey, I see you're hurting. Can I talk to you about the one who helped me when I was hurting? You don't have to have all the answers. You don't have to know how to say everything. Next week, we're starting a campaign, Faith Loves. It's an opportunity for you to step into your workplace, step into our culture, step into our community, and just let people know, hey, man, Faith Loves ultimately because Jesus loves. Grab some cards. Make a difference. As we step into Christmas, I want you to know Christmas is the number one time of the year that unchurched people come to church. Easter is the number one time of the year church people come to church. Christmas is the number one time of the year that unchurched people come to church, which means if you'll get bold enough to recommend, hey, come to faith. I'd love for you to be my guest. We have four experiences, Saturday at 4 and 6, Sunday at 9 or 11. Get your friends here, and I'm just telling you, if you'll get them in front of Jesus, he'll change their lives. Woo! But you got to be bold enough to make the recommendation to get them here. What would happen if you really believed that Jesus could help your friends? You'd make recommendations. You'd make invites. You'd get people to the house. Whatever it costs, think about the sacrifices they made. Think about the commitment of their time, the investment of their energy to get that man from his house on a mat, on a roof, lower down to Jesus. But I want you to know something. Society is worth the sacrifice. Our society, your society, our culture, it's worth the cost for us to do whatever it takes for people to have an encounter with Jesus. And the story ends this way. And the man jumped up, grabbed his mat, walked out through the stunned onlookers. I love it. And they were all amazed and praised God, exclaiming, we've never seen anything like this before. I want to issue a challenge here this morning. We live in a culture driven by recommendations. I challenge everybody in this room, in the week to come, during the Faith Loves campaign, getting into the Christmas season, and just life in general. I challenge you 
to live as if you really believe Jesus could help your friends. That it's not just the right plumber, it's not just the right doctor, it's not just the right person to work them through their addiction, but at the end of the day, Jesus is the answer. And as Mark so clearly demonstrated, he's not just going to teach them through something, he's going to work them through something because Jesus is a man of action. He worked miracles then, he still does miracles today. Does anybody believe that? So how would you live if you really believed Jesus could help your friends? Father, I pray in Jesus' name that God, all of us would walk out of here 3C driven with a new compassion, an enduring commitment, and a conviction that you're the answer. Lord, help us to live that way in the conversations we have, in the connections we make, in the relationships we live in. God, to do whatever it takes to bring people to Jesus. Father, I pray that you'll bless this house with that kind of faith, that God, just like that house, will be standing room only for the glory of God. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. And everybody who agreed, said amen.